Just let me review with you again. If you look at the book of Nehemiah, we divided it into two major sections. Chapters 1 through 7, reconstruction of the wall. The emphasis here is on the physical. It is on building the wall. The leading figure is Nehemiah. He's not a priest. He's not a, a Levite. He is not a teacher of the word. He is a man who is concerned about God's people. He's an administrator. He's an organizer. He's a person who could get things done. Chapters 1 through 7, then, is a focus on the physical aspect. Key phrases I mentioned this morning was, let us arise and build. After Nehemiah made an evaluation of the needs, how the wall was going to be done, he had a vision in his mind. He explained it to the people. And the people said, let us arise and build. This is one of the other outstanding things in the book of Nehemiah, the unity of the people of God to do the will of God. Once you get the people working together for the glory of God, anything can be accomplished. That's what Nehemiah shows. The key action is, so they put their hands to the good work. They put their hands to the good work. And as you go through the book, you will see that Nehemiah, he was a man of prayer, but he was also a man of action. And you will see where the people were praying even while they had their hands on their swords. They were praying, but they were ready to fight at the same time. Tremendous message here. The result, as I said, the miraculous, or the miraculous work where the work was completed in 52 days. Although they had those thousands of people involved, it was still a miraculous feat to accomplish this. Now, when we go through this passage again, we're going to study the uh, response by the people when the wall was completed and the joy and all the singing and the choirs and all of the things going on as a result of that. But we'll do that another time. Chapters 8 through 13 is a reconsecration of the people. The focus now is on the people and the priests, especially with Ezra the scribe, teaching the word of God. The key phrase is, bring out the book of the law. They wanted to hear what God had to say. They wanted to learn uh, what God had to say to them. And the key action, they confess their sins and worship the Lord their God. As we go to the passage tonight, you're going to see that one of the things they realize is the reason why the walls were broken down, the reason why they were in such destitution was because of the fact that their ancestors, as well as themselves, had sinned, had disobeyed, had gotten away from God. And the only way that God's presence and power could be manifested again was by confessing their sins, worshiping their God, and recommitting their lives to Christ. And that's exactly what they did. And oh, let me ask you, did you notice anything striking about our anniversary when we were giving thanks for what was in the past? Anyone? No one said anything negative. Everything was perfect. Nothing was wrong. Nothing was out of place. That's the impression that you got. But now, is that true? Now, see, the people here, they realize that that's not true. And you're going to see here, they went through the history. One of the longest prayers that we're going to be looking at tonight. Now, I'm not going to look at it verse by verse, this one. Because this is the longest prayer in the Bible. It gives a complete history of the people of Israel. If you want to have a quick study of the people of Israel and God's dealing with them, read Nehemiah chapter 9. 
And you'll see all through it where they confessed that our people got away. They stopped disobeying the word. But then you came back in your grace when they confessed it. And you, when you confessed their sin and they, you forgave, but they went right back into it. But in spite of that, he's focusing on God's grace. You still forgave them again and again and again and again. You'll see that focus here. But there are times when we have to confess our failings before God. We have to confess our sins before God. We have to look at our assembly, our church, our own lives. Sometimes give the impression that everything is just all right. Everything is perfect. But is it? We need to confess before God as well. As I said, the result was corporate consecration in chapter 9. Just look at verse, the verses we looked at this morning. They were all filled with great joy. The Israelites had not celebrated like this since the days of Joshua, the son of Nun. And that's because of the fact that they understood the word and they obeyed the word. And then in verse 16, the response was obedience. And this is the key, obedience to the word of God. So the people went out and cut branches and used them to build shelters and so on. And they obeyed the word. They put it into practice. Verse 18, Ezra read from the book of the law of God on each of the seven days. It was an ongoing thing. It didn't stop with the one meeting, wouldn't stop at one session. It went on for weeks. It went on for a long time. Then on the eighth day, they held a solemn assembly. Notice now what the word says. As was required by the law. In other words, as God says, it should be done. This was something that God says must be done, this solemn assembly. And so they did it. They obeyed the word. They did what God says. I want to repeat again and again, beloved. It isn't sufficient just to know the word and to hear the word. We must obey the word. James says that, right? The ones who are blessed are not only those who hear the word, but those who do the word as well. And that's the emphasis here. Now, Nehemiah 10 and 9, we come to reconsecration. Notice what it says in verse 1. On October the 31st, this is like three weeks later, 23 days, I think, exactly. The people assembled again. And this time... They fasted and dressed in burlap and sprinkled dust on their heads. These were signs of contrition. These were signs of repentance. These were signs of, hum- of humbling themselves before God. They were acknowledging their sin and they felt a sorrow for their sin. It just wasn't a mere mouthing, I'm sorry God, I ain't going to do it no more. This was a sorrow for sin. And remember, this is when we really... Uh, come to true confession when we have a sorrow for our sin as well. It was a united contrition. The whole assembly came in sackcloth and ashes. Then verse 2, those of Israelite descent separated themselves from all foreigners as they confessed their own sins and the sins of their ancestors. They didn't begin and stop with themselves. They looked back too. The failings of the past. That's what I'm saying. The striking thing is here, who would dare to look back and say over the 50 years, these are the things that we failed to do, or these were the things that were wrong. People will say, hey, you shouldn't look at that. You should only look at the blessings. No, no, no. We need to confess our failings as well. Now, you know, throughout the history of Calvary Bible Church, through a Warner and other programs, we reach into the community. But I still believe that's a major failing for us as a church. I don't think we have reached out into our community the way we should. 
Uh, doesn't mean we haven't in the past. We have, but I don't think to the extent that we should. And to me, that's a challenge that we need to do and to uh, live up to. They confess their sins and sins of their ancestors. So I want to challenge you. I want you to look back in your own life and look back in the ministry of this church. Are there any things we need to confess as a church? In your own life, as far as your own ministry is concerned, is there anything you need to confess that you haven't done? Perhaps God has put his finger on you to be involved in the ministry, and you didn't do it. Or you were involved in the ministry, but you got out for some reason. Some reason that perhaps personal, perhaps selfish, I don't know. But you're not running the way you did before as far as ministry was concerned in the church. You need to confess that before God. You need to acknowledge that you've sinned and that the only way we're going to move ahead is if we confess our sin and we allow and we thank God for the privilege and ability of starting again, afresh and anew. They confess their own sins and the sins of their ancestors. We could say they confess the sins of the past 50 years as well as the sins of the day. Amen? Now we have another focus on the centrality of the Word of God. Now remember, I'm doing exactly what Ezra did. I'm just going through the Word, and I'm just explaining it to you in a way that I hope you could understand it. I hope you're listening. They remain standing in place for three hours while the book of the law of the Lord their God was read aloud to them. Then for three more hours, they confessed their sins and worshiped the Lord their God. Here was a group of people to whom God was the Spirit was speaking in a mighty way. They did not want to leave. They could not leave because they wanted the conviction of the Word of God by the Spirit of God. And they confessed their sins. They acknowledged that they had sinned, but they also worshiped God. You see that that goes together, worshiping, confessing, and worshiping God. Now, that's why, by the way, we try to here to incorporate, we're not consistent as we should be, at the time in our service when we give you a few moments to confess your sins before we go into corporate worship. Because we believe that's important. We believe it's important for us to realize that the one that we're singing to is a holy God. He just, he just does not receive anything we offer from unclean hands, from hands that are, have unconfessed sin on them. You're coming in with a grudge about somebody. You just finished fighting with somebody. You won't forgive somebody. And by the way, and we didn't have time to deal with it as much as, as we should have, but one of the big elements with forgiveness here, the, the, the willingness of God's people to forgive one another as God had forgiven them. That's a necessary part for renewal, for revival, for revitalization, for an awakening amongst God's people. So they worship. Now notice the centrality, though, of the Word of God. Beloved, we cannot get away from it. The Word of God is essential to spiritual growth and the closeness to God. Hearing the Word, understanding the Word, obeying the Word, these things are important for us as believers. Verse 4, notice the corporate worship here. The Levites, Jeshua, Benai, Kadmiel, Shabaniah, Bunai, Sherebiah, Benai, Kenanai, stood on the stairway of the Levites and cried out to the Lord their God with loud voices. Then the leaders of the Levites, Jeshua, Kadmiel, Benai, Hashabniah, 
I'm not pronouncing these right, I'm sure. Sheribiah, Hodiah, Shabaniah, and Pethahiah called out to the people. Now these were the Levites. These were the leaders. Today we would say they were the pastors. They were the co-pastors. They're all together here. Now remember, you're going to see something here in a moment concerning leaders as well. Notice that stand up and praise the Lord your God, for he lives from everlasting to everlasting. They focus on the greatness of God. They focus on the power, the majesty of God, the eternal one, the I am. They focus on God. They worshiped him. Again, you know, we've told you throughout our ministry here that one of the things that if I would like to be remembered for is that at least we try to teach you how to worship God and what worship is. This is why the way that we have our uh, song selection and what Anton picks out and the way we approach it is because of the way we believe that the Bible teaches us how to worship. All of the hymns, all of the chorus focused on God. Now, there are times when we have the praise element because we believe that praise and worship are two different actions, two different attitudes, if you want. We believe that praise is when we focus on what God has done for us. But worship is who God is and what he is in himself. And that's why we try to focus always on God. That's why we incorporate the scripture when we re- as well. Because we want to involve the people in the reading. Because I don't believe we have enough of that interaction when we worship. And all of the things that we do, there's a method to our madness, as we said. Like I mentioned this morning about the process. I was so uh, blessed by Ambrose's testimony. Ambrose did exactly what we're trying to do. If you go through the process that we have set up, if you become involved in the discovery classes, if you become involved in the mini churches, if you become involved in ministry, you will grow. You will grow as a believer and you will have a strong testimony. Not, no, you just taking part in one piece here, piece there. It's the whole process. If the process is followed, the product will come out. But if you don't go through the whole process, it will not be complete. So we encourage you to become a part of all aspects. And sometimes we get in one part and we complain about the others. But I say again, it's the entire process that must be involved here. Stand up and praise the Lord your God, for he lives from everlasting to everlasting. I would like to see Calvary Bible Church to continue to be a church that prays and worship God with excitement, lively, in a way that we know that God the Spirit is touching the heart. And not just mouthing words, but mouthing truths, because we know that we're speaking to a holy God who is present with us. And then they prayed. Notice, again, the emphasis on God's sovereignty. May your glorious name be praised. Again, the name has to do with reputation. May your glorious name be praised. May it be exalted above all blessing and praising. You alone are the Lord. You made the skies and the heaven and all the stars. You made the earth and the seas and everything in them. You preserve them all. And the angels of heaven worship you. These people are worshiping God in spirit and in truth. They're focusing upon who God is. They're not asking for anything here at this point. They will be. But first, they always begin with worshiping God. And I believe that's how we need to approach God. That's why I try to make it a habit in my prayer 
But when I pray, I always thank God for the blood of Jesus Christ, because without the blood being shed, we would not be able to pray. We would not be able to enter into the presence of God. But sometimes we just glibly say, okay, we're going to pray. Lord, help me today, please. I need some money. Lord, help me today, please. I got a pain. And no, we don't focus on God, who he really is. We forget that the privilege that we have of being able to ask for those things is because Jesus Christ shed his blood. Shouldn't we begin by thanking him for that? I believe we should. Amen? And that's what they do here. They focus on the sovereignty of God, the power of God, on the person of God. And I think that's how we should approach our time of prayer as well. Then we go to verse 7. And to the end of the book, to verse 37, they trace and recount God's sovereign dealings with his people, Israel, throughout their history, confessing that their sins are the cause of their spiritual condition. Notice how they end the passage in verse 36. So now today, we are slaves in the land of plenty that you gave our ancestors for their enjoyment. We are slaves here in this good land. The lush produce of this land piles up in the hands of the kings whom you have set over us. Why? Because of our sins. Notice now, they have power over us and our livestock. Notice this now. We serve them at their pleasure, and we are in great misery. They are confessing their sins, and they're acknowledging that the reason why they are so spiritually deplete now is because of their sin. Now, as I said, if you go through this entire chapter, in chapter 9, you'll see them going through the history of Israel and showing how they, their ancestors had, uh, had uh, disobeyed God. For instance, look at verse 16. But they, our fathers, became arrogant and stiff-necked and did not obey your commands. They refused to listen and failed to remember the miracles you performed among them. They became stiff-necked and in their rebellion appointed a leader in order to return to their slavery. Now notice this. In spite of that, but you are a forgiving God, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. Therefore, you did not desert them, even when they cast for themselves an image of a calf and said, this is your God who brought you out of Egypt, or when they committed awful blasphemies. And you have the same pattern throughout the passage. We talked about how their ancestors had gotten away from the word of God. But in spite of that, God's mercy, God's grace still reached out to them and they confessed and God forgave and God restored and although it was a repetition going on in a God, God was still faithful. And it was based on this faithfulness of God that they now come to the point of praying that he would once more extend his forgiving grace to them so that his power might be felt and experienced in their presence again. We serve them at their pleasure, and we are in great misery. Now, I want you as, as believers here of Calvary Bible Church, do you believe that we are where God wants us to be right now as a church? Why not? Why not? Is it because we don't have the right man in place? Is it because we don't have enough money? Is it because we don't have enough facilities? And I think that's probably might be our problem. We hear the word. We know the word. We even understand the word. But we don't get out there actively you know, and do 
And um, well, I just want to interject this. Yesterday, I went to the hospital with my little girl, and I met a, a, a lady. She lived right in this area here, and she was in tears and she was crying and said she needs so much help. And she said, "Miss, if you only know the problem that we have in our community, you know." And I was telling her, "I go right here to Calvary." And she said, you go to Calvary? You mean that church there that does the care kitchen? I said, yes. And I said, we can help you. You, you, you serious? And she was so happy that I was there to talk to her. But I, I'm thinking, you know, there's things that we started with the Micah Project and other stuff, even the, the, the um, thing in the park, that should be more consistent. We really need to reach out more to our community, act on what we know. I think that's where we're falling down. Amen. Well, now in all of those things, we're waiting for somebody else to do it though, right? Most of the time. We're waiting for somebody else to do it. We want these things to be done, but we're not willing to take the initiative. But by the way, we are planning right now to have a walkabout again with the gifts and the rally in November. We're working on that right now, so that'll be coming up. Alan, I was about, that, thanks for reminding me that we got to order the bags. All right. All right, any other comments? Brenda will come back. A lot of things built up, a lot of comparison. Take, for instance, even in our... 50th anniversary, I heard people say, Pastor Leach did this this way, Pastor Lee do it the other way. Many times I say, look, Moses, my servant, is dead. Pastor Lee is doing it different. It's a lot of unforgiveness in our church. Okay. Anyone else? It's not a major observation, but this is another way to say what Brenda said. We trivialize sin. It's okay to criticize and that was serious because in, in the Old Testament, some people died because oh, of that. Oh, yeah. That was um, one of the major sins of the people, mumbling and grumbling. Exactly. And so some things that are major, some things that really break the Lord's heart, um, we tend to be okay with it. We, we make things that the, the Scripture, well, some people say sin is sin, but some things in the Scripture that is a quote-unquote big sin, it's nothing to us. Good. Okay. All right. Let's go on, unless somebody else has something to say. All right, verse 38. The people responded, in view of all of this, we are making a solemn promise and putting it in writing. In other words now, in view of the fact that we have sinned and we acknowledge our sin and we acknowledge also your grace, we are going to do something about it now. And they go to the point of even saying we can put it in writing. They're going to draw up a contract as it were, a commitment that they're going to give to God. On this sealed documents are the names of our leaders and Levites and priests. Notice who heads up the list is the leaders, the Levites and the priests. Today we will say the pastors and the deacons. They headed up the list for confessing their sins, acknowledging that they need God. And it is always important for leaders to take the lead when it comes here. True or false? And this is what is brought out here. Leaders must lead the way when it comes to renewal. The people responded, in view of all this, we are making a solemn promise and putting it in writing. On this sealed document are the names of our leaders and the Levites and our priests. You know, when we read the Old Testament and we think, think about Sodom and Gomorrah, we like always to say that um, the reason why and the main reason why God Condemn these cities was because of homosexuality. But if you do a good study of the word, you'll find that's not true. One of the reasons, 
I wouldn't say the main one, but one of the reasons was that because the priests themselves, the prophets, were guilty of sins that they were, uh, they were condemning the people for. And as a result of that, uh, the, uh, Isaiah says especially that they were strengthening the hand of the sinners because the lives of the priests, the lives of the pastors, were just like the lives of the sinners that they were trying to lead. And we cannot do that. We have to be sure that our own lives are pure before God, that we are living close to him, that we are ourselves reading the word, studying the word, obeying the word, and confessing our sins when there's sins to be confessed. I have been confessing quite a bit this week because of my study of this passage, you see. And I say to you again that if you have any kinds of feeling towards me that I am in any way hindering the ministry here, because of anything I am doing. Now, I know you come back because you preach too long. But when you come right down to it, I got to get up on the more. I got to get up on Hey, Charlie? No, I get up one. Charlie says, I can't win with that one, so I can win with that one. But I want you to make that known to me. If I have offended you in any way, I want to know that. I really do. Because that's the only way I'd be able to acknowledge it, confess it, and ask your forgiveness. Amen? All right. Now, let's go on. Here's some of the principles, or rather, some of the things that spiritual renewal demands according to what we've seen so far. One, continual exposure to the Word of God. Continual exposure to the Word of God. This is central. Secondly, consistent obedience to the Word of God. Not just exposure, but obedience on a consistent way. And thirdly, contrition for sins, feeling sorrow for the sins we've committed, sins towards others, sins toward God. By the way, the Bible does not only teach confessing of sins to God. It also teaches about confessing sins to one another. In fact, when you read James chapter 5, that's one of the conditions for healing to take place. Confessing sins to one another and forgiving one another. So contrition for sins, confession of sins, and repentance of sins. Beloved, we are a spiritual people. You have to remember that we are dealing with a holy God. And anything interferes with that, it is sin. We have to face up to that. We cannot think just because we have good intentions, good desires, and willing to do all kinds of work and everything, that's sufficient. No, no. We've got to be clean vessels if God is going to empower that work and to bless that work. Repentance of sins, an attitude of forgiveness, and Brenda is right here. Again, this is an important part. Forgiveness, forgiveness uh, uh, of sins that we have committed and being willing to forgive people who confess sins to us that they have done. Here's some principles to practice. One, spiritual renewal is the natural outcome of a body of believers who, in obedience to the word of God, are united in their confession of sin, worship of God, and who continually seek his face in prayer. This is going back to Second Chronicles chapter 7. Spiritual renewal is, natural, is the natural outcome of a body of believers who, in obedience to the word of God, are united in their confession of sin. That means they're willing to acknowledge it, of course, in the worship of God and who continually seek his face in prayer. 
This is why I hope and pray that we can see more of our people coming out to the prayer meetings to pray that God will make himself felt in our way and our life in a new way. Number two, as spiritual judgment is result of continual and deliberate disobedience to the word of God, so is spiritual renewal dependent upon obedience to the word of God. Beloved, we have to become more conscious of what is happening in our lives. All of us say we have all kinds of problems and difficulties. You ever ask yourself, why? Well, you say, that's how it is. Everybody's got it tough. But you, a believer in Christ, why you? Is it because of sin? Is it because of something you've neglected to do that God has told you to do? We have to examine ourselves the way the Bible tells us to examine ourselves. Important for us to understand that. Number three, complete forgiveness is assured by God in his word for the believer who acknowledges and confesses his or her sins. This is probably one of the most beautiful truths we can ever lay hold of, talking about the grace of God. No matter how we have failed him in the past, no matter what the sin may have been, if we feel sorrow for it and we confess it, God says he will forgive and he will give us a clean slate, as it were, to begin all over again. That's a gracious God, isn't it? That's a gracious God. We should never have to feel guilty about anything. If we feel guilty about anything, it's simply because we're not confessing our sins and accepting God's forgiveness because God has taken care of all guilt when it comes to sin. But we must lay a hold of it through confession and accepting his forgiveness. Number four, confession of sin is a specific command of God in his word. So if we don't do it, if we don't obey it, we are sinning again. If we don't confess sins that we are aware of, we are sinning by not doing it. Number five, forgiveness that relates to fellowship with God is dependent upon forgiveness that relates to fellowship with his people. So if any of you got any kind of a fight going on and you can't talk to that brother or sister or you have something like that, my beloved, here, your fellowship with God is not secure. Your fellowship with God is not a real thing. You cannot have fellowship with the Father if you don't have fellowship with his children. That's the key element there. Jesus taught that in the prayer, by the way, that he taught his disciples. Number six, spiritual renewal, both personal and corporate, is hindered by the failure of God's people to forgive one another as God has forgiven them. So we have to ask ourselves, is there anything in our lives that is preventing God the Spirit to work in this assembly? Remember this. This church is only as strong as its weakest member. Ephesians 4 tell us that we are joints together, working together to bring the maturity of the church, right? We are joints. One time I gave a message, I said, we are nuts and bolts. So most of us are nuts, but anyway, it's the idea that we hold one another together and all of these nuts and bolts must be tightened all the time. If anyone loses up our problems, the whole thing goes off a kilt. Achan is a picture of this as far as it comes to corporate uh, sin. Achan was one person, but because he sinned, the entire nation was impacted by that, right or wrong. So you see, your life as an individual believer, your life as a member of this church affects the spiritual life of this entire church. You could be responsible as an individual for holding back the power of God in this assembly if you have sin that you're aware of and you don't confess it. If you are 
you are unwilling to forgive somebody who has hurt you or has sinned against you. You could be the one who's holding back the power of God in his assembly. Now, God, the Holy Spirit, is one who enables us, of course, to do these things, to ask forgiveness, to confess our sins to him and to one another. And I pray that that will happen. Now, uh, one of the beautiful things of this passage, if you go in chapter 10, you will see how they made up this document. But I won't go through it tonight. In verse 10, verse 1 of chapter 10, it says, those who sealed it, that's this agreement now. In fact, he says, uh, those who sealed the document were Nehemiah, the governor, the son of Hakaliah. And then he gives the names of all of the people, the Levites, the leaders of the people in verse 15. And it says in verse 28, the rest of the people, priests, Levites, gatekeepers, singers, temple servants, and all who separated themselves from the neighboring peoples for the sake of the law of God, together with their wives and all their sons and daughters who were able to understand all those now join themselves with a curse. I'm sorry, all join them, all join their brothers and nobles and bind themselves with a curse and an oath to follow the law of God given through Moses, the servant of God, and to obey carefully all the commands, regulations, and decrees of the Lord our God. We promise, and then he goes on now to list the things that they're going to do, not to give our daughters in marriage to the peoples around us. In other words, no unequal yokes, because that was a big sin in those days. No unequal yokes. Then he goes on to talk about stewardship, how they're going to be taking care of the, church, of the temple of God. We assume the responsibility for carrying out the commands to give a third of a shekel each year for the service of the house of our God, for the bread set out to the table, and so on. So they are making now a commitment to stewardship. You see, they are admitting and confessing that they were not giving what the Lord commanded to give. They were robbing God. And they are repenting from that now, and they are making a commitment that they will begin to become good stewards of God's money. And it ends up in the, in the end of the passage, it says, we will not neglect the house of our God, because they had done it. In fact, as you read through the passage, it tells you how long these people did not give to the Lord. It was years they didn't give. Now God, now they realize this is a sin, and they are committing themselves in writing to be good stewards. And so the principle here is that even in our own lives, as well as the life of a church, we have to look at the areas that we have failed in. Where have we failed? And we have to commit to God that with his help, we are going to re-consecrate ourselves to putting things right and not doing it again. If it has to do with stewardship, if it has to do with holy living, who's our relationships? What about our relationships with the unsaved? How are parents teaching their young people? boys and the young girls about their relationships with unsaved, and so on. All of these things have to be addressed. Have we failed in these areas? Make a list of the things that you know you've failed God. Make another commitment to him that will help you will not fail again because you are reconsecrating your life to Christ. Beloved, this is what we need to do, a reconsecration of our lives. Again, in the words of the Apostle Paul in Romans 12, I command you, I, I have to go, I exhort you, brethren, by the mercies of God, because of what he's done for us. To what? To present your bodies 
as living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable way of worship. That's how the text reads. We give to God our bodies as a sacrifice, as a means of worship. Beloved, that's where we are now. If we want to see a real new 50-year ministry, we've got to begin with ourselves. Not with things, not even with money, but with ourselves. Putting ourselves in the right position spiritually so God will use us. We always, we're talking about the financial prop needs right now we have. There are many reasons for that, of course. But one of the things is this. If, God's, if this is God's work and we do it his way, God will not uh, hold the funds back from getting it done. We just have to do it properly. Amen? Thank you.